You're listening to the Cougar Talk Podcast, hosted by Dylan McNinn and Chris Isaacson, joined today by Jackson Jepson. Welcome to another episode of the Cougar Talk Podcast, your weekly podcast for all things BYU football and college football. And before we dive into it, we want to give a shout out to today's sponsors. So as with the past few weeks, this episode is brought to you by Josh War on Twitter. Josh makes fantastic birchwood signs of custom, you know, company logos, team logos. They're made out of birchwood. They're very affordable, and he always offers free shipping. So if you're interested in checking out his work, it's at Josh underscore war. That's W-A-R-R on Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, you can always reach out to him via text at 801-310-2625. Business inquiries only, of course, but he does great work. I've been very impressed with the stuff I've gotten from him, so we always love giving him a big shout-out there. And we are also proud affiliates of KooConnect, which is the best NIL company with BYU Athletics. NIL is something that is constantly changing the landscape of college football. We're seeing it especially this week involving a big NIL deal with actually the University of Utah. And if you want BYU to have those same opportunities, the best way to be involved in that is being a Koo Connect subscriber. So for just a small subscription amount a month, you can get access to player written reports, even opportunities to meet the players, and almost all of that money goes towards getting those NIL deals for our athletes. So if you're interested in becoming a Koo Connect subscriber, make sure you head over to our website, cougartalkpodcast.com. Our very bottom option just on the home screen, it says subscribe to Koo Connect. Just go ahead and click on that link. It'll take you to their website and they'll get you taken care of. So, you know, big shout out to them as well. They are a fantastic company to be involved with. Now, joining me today is my good friends, Chris and Jackson. We finally have Jackson back on after a little bit of him not being able to join us. But we're super happy to have him back for this bi-week episode. It was a fun week last week for BYU football. It was a great conference weekend for both general conference and conference play in football. So I'm going to throw that in there. It was a good weekend for just all things conference-wise. But, fellas, how are we feeling after this weekend? I'm feeling great. Coming off a BYU win, like you said, general conference, spirit's high. My football spirit is high. Going into the bye week, the news of getting people back healthy for TCU is exciting. So lots of stuff going on, going right here. And I am feeling great as well. Happy to be back. Always happy to have a reason to talk about BYU football. Um, And I kind of mentioned this in our group text we have as a friend, but it's kind of nice going into bye week. You kind of like emotionally get to relax while still enjoying the excitement and entertainment of college football. You don't have anything at stake. So you can just sit back, you can put your legs up and watch some college football. And that's nice after some of these really intense games that BYU has played these last few weeks. Absolutely, and it's especially nice because we do get to watch some games that we care about the outcome with now that we are in a conference and we have these conference games going on. But like you said, it is nice just being able to focus on the football, watch some good football without worrying about how is BYU going to do, how did BYU just do today, things like that. So I absolutely agree on that. Now, before we dive into our actual review of the last game, We also love giving shout-outs to those BYU alumni players that are killing it in the league. So let's go ahead and make our Cougs and the Pros shout-outs. Chris, I'm going to actually have you start us off with this. 
Yeah, so I was going to go ahead and give the shout-out to Zach Wilson. Monday Night Football, uh, Jets versus Chiefs. He's got Patrick Mahomes on the other side. A lot of kind of negative, negative press surrounding Zach. And he came out and he balled out. 245 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And then there was a stat that he is the only quarterback in college or pros to ever have more completions, passing yards, touchdowns, and fewer interceptions than Patrick Mahomes in a start against him in his career so zach wilson had a special night the jets didn't end up getting the win but lots of bright things ahead for him absolutely and then kind of on on board with that with another byu player that got a lot of love this past week was our very own puka nakua if you haven't heard about what puka's been doing with the rams then i'm not sure where you're at because he is making a lot of noise in the league the rams played against the indianapolis colts they won 29 to 23 in overtime and the game-winning touchdown in that overtime matchup was caught by Puka Nakua on the day he had nine receptions, 163 yards, and that one touchdown for the win. His first NFL receiving touchdown was a game-winner, rightfully so, very fitting for a player with the caliber of Puka. So love seeing him getting that love and getting those reps, taking up you know that spot that was filled in by Cooper Cup, who has been hurt. He's been their go-to guy, and he's shown that he can be that guy consistently for them. So super happy happy for Puka. Love what he's been doing there. I would say for any BYU fan that hasn't seen it, go and find the post-game interview with Puka Nakua. And he, what's so cool is he talked about, based off of the trajectory of Matthew Stafford's pass, he knew that Stafford wanted him to kind of sit on his route because he was on a crossing route when the ball was thrown. But because of how the ball was thrown, Puka knew that he needed to kind of slow down, stop in the route, and then go uh, vertical from where he was. And something like that, it got him into the end zone, but it shows why Puka is getting so much success early in his career, is he's understanding and seeing these small things that it takes years for other guys to pick up on. So when you hear Puka talk like that, it's no surprise to me what he's doing, even with how historic and awesome it has been. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually something we touched a little bit on last week, too, is how historic this season could end up being for Puka. Of course, the Rams are going to get Cooper cut back from injury eventually, and maybe we see a little bit of a decline in his usage, but he's on pace for a record-breaking season. Chris talked about it last week with the records that he could break with this pace that he has so far this season. So it's been super fun, you know, seeing him succeed so much and like you said, we're really seeing that he has that high football IQ that a lot of guys don't get until they are well into their career. So big shout out to Puka there. I do want to revisit, you know, Chris shouting out Zach a little bit as well, because we're starting to see a little bit of a narrative shift for Zach Wilson, which is, you know, kind of interesting because he's been kind of the goat for not the good type of goat, the goat for Jets fans to kind of, you know, automatically go to to blame for their struggles they immediately blame Zach when their offensive line isn't doing great or when receivers are dropping balls it has to be Zach's fault which you know kind of comes with that quarterback position but it was kind of cool to see that narrative shift kind of defending Zach a little bit here and it's kind of been cool to see that it actually has started somewhat from other players you know we saw that clip from the end of the Jets game after Zach had a heartbreaking play where he fumbled the ball. That was a mistake on his end. He owned it. We all know that. But other than that, he had a great game. 
but all he was devastated on or focused on was that fumble. And so there was a great shot of him on the sideline, very upset about it. And then we have, you know, these veteran players like um, Cobb and Lazard who go up to him and are, you know, having his back a little bit, comforting him, giving him just a little bit of, you know, helping him lift his head up in a way, just really helping him see that, you know, he had a great game and they weren't losing this game just because of that one mistake. He was a big reason they were in that game in the first place. And I think that's kind of helping people notice, you know, these players see it. It's their career to be involved in, you know, these situations. And they see that Zach still has it. He still is the type of player we saw at BYU that has such high potential. He just needs to be in a good situation to be set up for success with that. And then, of course, you know, all the media afterwards, there is a, an announcer that was interviewing uh, Chris Jones after that game, trying to knock Zach. Chris Jones stood up in his defense, you know, called out the good gameplay, called out Zach as a great player. We saw the same thing later from a guy like Micah Parsons. So it's been just fantastic seeing this narrative shift a little bit more in Zach's favor here. But it's been super fun watching all of these BYU players succeed in the league. But let's go ahead and talk now about just the current state of BYU football and our most recent game against Cincinnati. So we had a Friday night kickoff at home against Cincinnati. It was the first Big 12 home game as a member of this Big 12 conference. And it was a, it was a super fun game. All three of us were there. We actually met up at halftime. It was a fantastic win. We won 35 to 27 and it was a much needed bounce back win after our tough game where we lost against Kansas the week prior. So let's talk a little bit about this win that we had and personally I think there were a lot of things that went right so let's go ahead and save plenty of time for those and let's just get what went wrong out of the way here right at the beginning. So Jackson to you what kind of went wrong in this win against Cincinnati? When I just look at the stats here, everyone has obviously already been talking about Cincinnati, how they gained 500 yards. And I think the underlying issue of that is Cincinnati was allowed to go 9 of 18 on third down and 1 of 3 on fourth down. They just had a lot of drives that they were able to sustain. Specifically, I felt like there were like 10 quarterback draws on third down, and they got the first down like every time. And maybe you're missing Ben Bywater there, but I think something that this team can be better at and Jay Hill expects more from is that third down efficiency rating. BYU gets Cincinnati off the field like one or two more times, and this is a completely different game. It was still in BYU's control, but that third down efficiency, I look at that and that's going to have to be better when BYU plays teams that are a little bit more prone to capitalizing on their these, these long drives where Cincinnati is either just getting a field goal or a turnover. So that could be an issue going forward if BYU can't get off the field on third down. It kind of gave me some PTSD, not going to lie, from the last two years. But that's what I was looking at as the main thing that went wrong on the defensive end on Friday. Yeah, and I think, you know, the hard thing with that, the reason why that brings up concern for me as well, is that Cincinnati is not a good third down team. They, on the season before playing us, their third down efficiency percentage was around 43%. So they were above average which is crazy at, you know, about 50% there. That's still not great third down efficiency, but it seemed like they were really doing that on those third and longs with those, you know, quarterback draws. So I do agree that is something that kind of does need to get resolved, especially 
as we go into this next stretch of games against all those Texas teams, specifically against Texas with a quarterback like Quinn Ewers. Yeah, and just visiting the third downs a little bit, it's kind of interesting because when we played Arkansas, we ended up holding them to two of 13 on third downs. And so we go from that, we play Kansas. It, it was a little bit of a rough game on defense. So we're kind of seeing a little bit of a regression there. You would love to see that climb back up. Obviously, you won't be able to hold most teams to two for 13 on third downs. But yeah, just keeping that in check. And also as well in the first half, I noticed Cincinnati had, it looks like four drives of four minutes or longer and they just held the ball the entire half it felt like they had a four minute drive that ended on a fourth and one incompletion a 17 play 90 yard drive where they just marched the field and scored a touchdown I think limiting those long drives is going to go a long way for the defense and being able to stop third downs because once you're on the field for 10 15 plays you're just gassed there's not going to be a lot of ways to stop those third downs so that's what I would focus on on those as well there one more thing that kind of went wrong for BYU, and it started with the snap that went over Keaton's head. I think that happened on first down, right? It was 35 to 20. BYU's on the four or five yard line. There's a snap over the head. They're 20 yards back. And eventually, Will Farron misses, I think it was like a 44 yarder, if I'm thinking right, to end that possession. And yeah, you missed the field goal, but what went wrong before that, I think, was BYU's got a little bit conservative after that snap went over the head and I think they actually if I'm remembering right lost yardage on second down and maybe third down to make that field goal go back even further for Will so when we look at that missed field goal and missed opportunity for points obviously it's first on that bad snap but I think it's second on the offense not putting Will in a better spot to make that field goal I think it was tough on him to just keep moving it back yeah, looking at the play-by-play, -play, it's just back-to-back -back runs for no gain once you get second and goal from the 27-yard line. Like you said, you would love to see even just 5, 10 yards, somewhere in that range, just make that field goal a little bit easier for a kicker who's first year kicking in games. Now, we, we've talked a lot about what went wrong there, and let's go ahead and shift our focus here now. We really like focusing more on what went right, and there was a lot of things that went right for our team for our offense for our defense just all around we had a lot of things that went well for BYU so Chris why don't you start us off with what you thought went right about this game yeah so I kind of break this game into two halves the first 29 minutes and the last 31 in the first 29 minutes we had no offensive points our only touchdown was a Jacob Robinson pick six then that one drive before halftime we had a 23 yard pass to Keanu Hill 24 yards to Chase Roberts 22 yards to Darius Lasseter for a touchdown and that kick started everything we had three straight touchdown drives our next drive we punted but immediately got the ball back on that muffed punt and recovery by Austin Riggs and capitalized on that with a touchdown so essentially scoring on four straight possessions I, what changed is kind of throwing the ball downfield and being able to connect on those deep passes. Keaton Slovis finally got into rhythm. And just once that second half hit, once that end of the first half hit, we were an entirely different team. Yeah, on top of what Chris was saying, what went right for BYU, I think it's when Aaron Roderick threw away the game plan. And we saw that happen when BYU got the ball back with 40 seconds in the second quarter. From then on, it felt like we were just throwing the ball around the rest of the game. We didn't abandon the rushing game completely, but it obviously took, you know, like a back step to the passing game. And I think Aaron Roderick, he just said, you know, we got to go with what we're good with and what is working. 
and taking that step is honestly kind of risky, but that's inevitably what went right for BYU in this game. You saw Chase Roberts end up with, like we said, 131 yards, a touchdown, and that touchdown really put the game away. So I think things went right when Aaron Roderick decided to have more confidence in what he thought the team was good with than the game plan that he himself had developed. And that's a, that's a decision that takes a lot of guts for an offensive coordinator to make. Yeah, we've been talking about that a little bit the last few weeks, how we want to establish the run game. But if we know that it's not going to be effective, we need to be able to just dedicate ourselves to throwing the football, taking those downfield shots. So once Aaron Roderick, like you said, changed that game plan, figured out that we can't rely on the run game if it's not going to get the passing game going, everything worked out a lot smoother that second half. And the interesting thing, too, that we've kind of brought up specifically last week, I think you brought it up, Chris, was that you know, where our running game is struggling so much, sometimes it's helpful to, instead of try to use the run game to set up the pass game, flip that around and use the pass game to set up the run game. And it felt like that's actually what kind of happened in this game. You know, it took us really rolling with those passing plays to open up the run game a little bit more for LJ. It took us having those good drives. And then, you know, immediately after we have, you know, a 14-yard pass to Isaac Rex for first down, we pass it to Keanu for a few yards, Immediately after that is that LJ Martin 29-yard run for a touchdown. So it's kind of inverse of what a lot of teams do. But I think it did take, like you mentioned, Jackson, throwing away that you know game plan of trying to use that run game so much and really using that pass game to open up the run game a little bit more. And it worked. We saw it working a little bit more, especially in the beginning of the second half with that long LJ Martin touchdown. Yeah, and I actually want to talk about that touchdown specifically and how the pass game made it happen. If you go back and watch the play, I think it's a zone coverage. And because BYU had been throwing the ball everywhere on that drive, the first guy to make contact with LJ, you see when the ball is snapped, he takes three steps back, which is probably what, like two or three yards? And those two or three yards were just enough for LJ to make the move that he did, get the leverage that he did, and get into the end zone. So it was a perfect example of the of the pass game opening up the run game for LJ. Now, something that stood out to me a lot actually about what felt good about this game was, first of all, it felt like a lot more clean of a game for us. It felt like, you know, first of all, the one that stands out is we had no illegal touching. That's the first game this whole season. We haven't been penalized for an illegal touching. So whatever it was that changed about that to make it not happen i am just happy with that let's keep that going i think you know i think it was hans olsen actually post game specifically mentioned how he noticed that every single play the receivers were very very thorough with communicating with each other and with the sideline refs you know it took a little bit more time to get set up each play but it was worth it because we didn't have those penalties happen and then just you know overall it felt like it was a more clean game for us because first of all we felt like we had a little bit better blocking we were giving Keaton more time for those deep passes and then we also led in turnovers we had two turnovers to their zero and any time we don't turn the ball over that gives us the best shot possible to win a game one of those turnovers was of course that pick six by Jacob Robinson and then the other one was as Chris mentioned before that muffed punt that we recovered with our long snapper and the fact that we were able to take advantage of those and not turn the ball over back to them, I think played a big aspect in this win. 
Now, with that, you know, it's super easy to focus on the goods when we win. A lot easier to focus on the good in a win than it is to focus on it in a loss. So, you know, of course, we got to enjoy this win. Maybe it's a little bit closer than a lot of people would have liked it to be, but a win is a win. You know, there's a reason the spread was so close for this game, and we got to enjoy it for what it really is. It's our first Big 12 win as a Big 12 team. And it's worth celebrating, and it came at a perfect time. But let's go ahead and move on a little bit more to our players of the game on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball. So I'll go ahead and get us kicked off on the offense. You know, I think it's kind of hard to give the player of the game to anyone on the offense other than Chase Roberts. Chase Roberts was a big playmaker for us on that Friday game. He was our leading receiver by far with six receptions for 131 yards and a touchdown. His longest pat or catch was a 59-yarder, and he had a crazy good game. He really carried that passing offense a little bit, I think, more than anybody else did, and I think it's very well-deserved to give him the offensive player of the game. I'm curious, though, what do you guys think about that? Is there anybody else you think could deserve it there? Anybody else you think just at least deserves a shout-out as well? Yeah, so I would absolutely agree that Chase Roberts would be the player of the game there. Six catches, 131 yards. The one touchdown that he had where he kind of just intercepted the ball that was thrown over Keanu's Hill. It was a great day by him. Did want to shout out LJ Martin. 16 carries for 66 yards. He had an average of over four yards per carry, which is something we haven't seen from BYU running backs this year. And two touchdowns as well, including that 29-yard touchdown we went over. So, it was nice to see him get going a little bit, especially after the slow start in the first half. So I'll shout out LJ Martin there. I agree with both of you guys. I mean, both Chase and LJ had huge impacts on the game. But if we go back to the discussion where Aaron Roderick decided to kind of throw out the play, the game plan that he had in place and just go with throwing the ball, that was solely an option for A-Rod because of his trust in Keaton Slovis. If Keaton Slovis is any more of an average quarterback, BYU isn't able to make that adjustment and win the game. So for that reason, I would probably give my offensive player of the game to Keaton with 1A, 1B, or 2A and 2B being Chase and LJ, of course. But because of A-Rod's trust in Keaton, he was able to make those adjustments and get BYU in a position to win that game. Now flipping it over to the defensive side of the ball, this is where I personally have a little bit of trouble of picking one specific player for the player of the game. So I'm actually going to let you guys kick it us, kick us off first with this. Chris, who is your defensive player of the game? Yeah, like you said, I was kind of going back and forth on this. I was I had a few guys in mind, but looking back at the stats, I absolutely have to go with Max Tooley. He ended up having 16 tackles on the game, nine of which were solo tackles. And it just felt like he was a part of every single play, whether the ball was going right, left, whether it was thrown to a receiver. He somehow found a way to be a part of every single play, was a very sure tackler and just really stepped up in the absence of Ben Bywater more than you could have ever expected him to. So I like some of the other guys, but I'm giving it to Thule this week. That's a great pick. I mean, how can you pick anyone other than the guy that had 16 total tackles, it's hard to. But if I were to pick someone else, it would still I would stay in the linebacker room and pick Harrison Taggart, who made his first career start at BYU. And I love watching Harrison play. You guys have seen it. We've talked about it. That guy is a madman. 
he plays so hard. He kind of has that like screw loose mentality where he just wants to hit somebody. He reminds me, and this is kind of a deep dive. I don't know if you guys remember, we were kind of young, all of us, but Brandon Ogletree, he was also middle linebacker for BYU back in the Mendenhall days, and he just hit hard. And Harrison looks a lot like that guy. And I was really proud of him in his first game. He gets in there and he gets involved with 10 total tackles. Dude, I loved Brandon Ogletree growing up. All I remember is that I loved his name first. I can just remember little me being like eight years old or however old I was, just cheering for Brandon Ogletree to go make some tackles. Yeah, I I, I do love that comparison there, and I definitely see the similarity there. And I, I do think Harrison deserves all the praise he's getting because that's a tough spot to be thrown into where, you know, the starter is injured with Ben Bywater and he's expected to go in and play a huge role in this defense. That spot that he's in is a massive part of our defense, and he stepped up and played great, especially given those circumstances. Now, my I feel like my player of the game on the defensive side of the ball is a little bit biased because I've kind of been on the hype train for this guy since the beginning, since the preseason. But, you know, personally, I think I'm going to give mine to Jacob Robinson. Kind of hard not to when he got us seven of our points. And it was, you know, one possession game by when it was all said and done. But, you know, he he's consistently showing us that he's one of our best defenders. He's I, I think it's safe to say he's our best defensive back. And he just constantly goes on to make plays every single game. He's always involved. Still will never understand why teams keep trying to throw it his way. And you know, even watching the game live while I was there, they there was one specific pass they threw to him and he deflected it. And I just was so hyped and I was yelling, keep throwing it to him. Like, let him be the person you keep trying because he's always going to be making these plays. That's just the player that he is. So I think I'm going to give mine to Jacob Robinson. But like I said before, it's super hard to pick just one player because overall, even though, you know, a lot of people are upset with how many yards we did allow, on our defense, I do think our defense still played good, though. We had our stars play at that star level, so it, it was super fun to watch, especially with those linebackers and Jacob Robinson. Yeah, and before we move on, I just wanted to shout one last thing. First, Tyler Batty had seven tackles, one sack. He had a great game. And then A.J. Vongpachan as well had 10 tackles. All three of our starting linebackers had double-digit tackles, so that front seven and especially the linebacking core has been so solid all year long. I think we take it for granted a little bit, but that's a great core we have, even without Ben Bywater being in. We have four amazing linebackers, and not very many teams can say that. And, and I, I think it's you know very fair to say that our linebackers are kind of the strength of this defense. There, you know, a lot of talk around them all the time being the strength but I think this season so far has shown why our three leading tacklers our linebackers you know they're really our leaders on this defense with Ben Bywater Max Tooley and stepping up a lot this season as well with AJ so I, I do agree I think you know those linebackers deserve all the praise and honestly it feels like every single week there is at least one of those linebackers where we are sitting there trying to decide if we should give them the defensive player of the game because they're always playing so good that they could deserve that every single week. All right, well, moving on to this week, we do not have a game to preview in today's episode, which 
is a little bit sad, to be honest. I like previewing games and getting a look at our next opponents, but it is just for this week. We have our bye week, and next week's episode, we'll do a deep dive on TCU. But let's let's talk a little bit about this bye week. It's kind of the first time, I think, since like 2013 that we've had a bye week this early on in the season. It's actually coming really in at a perfect time where we're going to be able to get a lot of guys back from injury. You know, we'll have Ben Bywater hopefully back. Hopefully we'll get Cody Epps back. We'll have Waylon back on the offensive line. So this, this is really a perfectly timed bye week for us this season. But it's also a good point to kind of pause and look back on the entirety of the season so far and then look ahead at the rest of the season. Even though it's not really the halfway point, in my mind, I'm kind of treating it as that halfway point of, you know, taking a second to look at what's going well and what we can hopefully improve on throughout the next, you know, second half of the season. So taking a look just at our season so far, in case you aren't following along for any reason, if you weren't, though, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but we started off the season 3-0 and with wins over Sam Houston, Southern Utah, and Arkansas. The Arkansas game especially was very exciting. We won at Arkansas 38-31. to Then we have a tough loss at Kansas, our first Big 12 matchup as a member of the conference. We lose 38-27, to and we kind of get you know torn apart by their rushing offense specifically. But then, of course, we have the bounce-back win last week against Cincinnati, and heading into the bye week, we are 4-1, and 1-1 and in conference play. And I don't know about you guys, but if anybody had told me before the season started that we would get to the bye week at 4-1, and I would have been thrilled. And I, I would have taken that as is. I still am very thrilled that we're four and one, but even here it feels like, you know, we haven't played our best football. Kalani even doesn't seem like we've played our best football and it feels like we're all hungry for a little bit more. Yeah, Dylan, I totally agree. I mean, you have to look at four and one as an absolute win. You talked about if someone had showed you that at the beginning of the year, you'd be happy to take it. And I think even deeper, if someone were to show you the box scores to BOU's games, specifically the Cincinnati and Arkansas games, and you didn't know the scores to those games, you would think BOU is like two and three right now. And for BOU to have stolen two of those games to be four and one to only need two, two more wins for bowl eligibility, they're they're in a fantastic spot. And I think a lot of people have been already talking about this too. They're in an even better spot due to the fact that they haven't played their best, or really anywhere near it. We've seen glimpses of what this team can be, but it hasn't come together all at once. And because of that, looking at the rest of the schedule, there's really only the Texas game where I look at and say, I don't know if we have a chance to really be competitive in that game. The rest of the games, it just feels like they could go either way. BYU has as good a chance to win that game as they do to lose it. And I think that's that's a great place to be in, especially as your first year as a P5 and in the Big 12. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even even with that Texas game, Texas showed a little bit of a glimpse of weakness early on against Wyoming, of course, end up blowing them out throughout the rest of that game. But, you know, there there is some some basis there to the thought of there's not really any Big 12 team that is impossible to beat Texas is a very hard team to beat. Of course, Oklahoma would be very difficult to beat. But I think more than anything so far this season, we've shown that we can 
beat these big name teams. We can play hard. And even if we're not playing our best, we can step up when it matters most and make those plays to win these games. You know, specifically the Arkansas game. We start off that game 14 down 14 to zero and we end up winning that game. And I think that's kind of the mentality this team has of not only proving people wrong, but stepping up when our back is against the wall. And, you know, I love the idea that our team hasn't played its best football yet because we have a lot of big matchups coming up. Now let's, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about sort of who we think the team MVP is so far. And then also our biggest surprise player so far. Man, I feel like every time I'm talking tonight, I'm just singing the praises of Keaton Slovis. But Keaton is my MVP so far this year. I think he has given BYU two wins. He's been worth, his player value has been an additional two wins to the year. I think if you have a quarterback who's a little bit more average than Keaton is, there's a good chance you lose the Arkansas game and the Cincinnati game. His experience has shown his ability. I think we heard a lot about his poise in the offseason, and I didn't quite understand how that would translate to the field, but his poise has been great. He's been able to get hit. He's been able to look down the face of pressure and still deliver throws and make the big plays that BOU has needed. So he, Keaton Silva, so far is my MVP. Because I kind of know where you guys are going with this, I'm going to go with someone who is a little bit different. My biggest surprise player so far of the year has been Eddie Heckard. We heard a lot about Eddie coming into the year. And not that I was a hater and not that I wasn't super excited that we got Eddie out of the portal. But I kind of looked at his accolades and what people were saying about him. And I said, okay, that was at Weber State. That was an FCS football. He's obviously a good athlete. Where And in the FCS ranks, he might kind of be at an advantage on a week-to-week basis and because of that he was playing as well as he was but my surprise this year has been how easily that has translated to the field obviously he was a little bit banged up the last week or two and hasn't looked how he did the first three games but he didn't miss a step he was that all-conference player that we saw at uh, Weber and he's been really a mainstay of the defense when someone's coming one of the best feelings after that t- tackle in the Arkansas game, when I see an opposing player get the ball in the backfield or on a wide receiver screen and I see Eddie there, I feel confident that he's going to make that open field tackle. And that's that's rare for a BYU cornerback, just to be honest. So my biggest surprise player so far is Eddie. Due to the fact that his transition from FCS to P5, he hasn't even taken a step back at all in his production. I actually love that pick and especially talking about those open field tackles. I remember talking about it at the beginning of the year when he had that massive hit against Sam Houston State. I turned to my buddy and I said, man, we haven't seen this out of a DB since like since dying. And so having a guy like that, where you know, is going to come in hitting is going to make those tackles. It feels great. And then I guess I'll get right into my picks. Then my MVP of this year, I am. I predicted it at the start of the year. I'm going to stick with it. I like Max Tooley. He's currently leading the team in tackles. He has one sack. He's got an interception, a pass deflection, and it always just feels like he's right in the middle of every single play, uh, especially with Ben Bywater there with him. Ben Bywater being out this week, it kind of could have gone 50-50 between them, but I will be taking Max Tooley. I love seeing what he can do in the run game, in the pass game. He can cover. 
He can do it all, and I think he keeps that defense as a whole. And then my surprise player, I'm actually going to stick in the same room that Jackson did there. I'm going to go with Camden Garrett. And it wasn't as much of a surprise to me. I've actually worked out in the same place as he has. I've seen his offseason training. I knew that he was going to be a dog coming in. But I'm excited that he's proved it and that everybody else can see it too because it always feels like whenever he's in coverage, he never loses a step. He gets his head around to the ball. He's never behind. He just makes all the plays that you could ever expect him to make, and he has been a crazy good asset to have in that cornerback room to make us have three incredible corners. I love that, and I do agree on there about Camden being a huge role in this defense as well. He's he's being asked to do a lot of one-on-one coverage, and he's covering it great. Like he's he's reading the offense the best way possible. He's breaking to the ball early on, so he's done so fantastic so far. And I've been pleasantly I've been pleasantly surprised by both of those guys as well myself. Now for my MVP of the season, I'm actually going to go a little bit different of a direction. Uh, I'm going to go with Isaac Rex. He's not the leading receiver anymore this season. He had been through the first few weeks, and then Chase Roberts took that over. But there's a reason Chase took it over, and it's because every team we've played knows to game plan for Isaac Rex. They're taking him out of the game plan as much as possible, and that's opening it up for players like Chase or Darius to get more receptions. But I think Isaac so far has been the most consistent receiver on this team. He's been that go-to player that Keaton knows if he can find Isaac is either going to make a play and make a catch, or he's going to get the defense called for a pass interference, if they're calling it correctly, of course. But Isaac has been that consistent go-to guy in an offense that's kind of been struggling a little bit. And outside of the receiving side of things, he's having to step up blocking as well a lot with the struggles that our offensive line has been having so far. He's been a huge part of that run blocking for our running game. He's making those seven second-level blocks as needed. So to me, I think we've got to give it to Isaac. We're seeing a 100% healthy Isaac Rex this season and really seeing how much of a difference maker he is when he is healthy. So I, I'm going to give mine to Isaac Rex. And then my surprise player, I struggled with this one, and I'm going to have to give two here because, to be honest, I thought one of you guys was going to say one of the more obvious picks here. So first of all, I'm going to say LJ. It's you know LJ has definitely got to be mentioned in this conversation because he comes in as a true freshman as – you know, our leading rusher. He's our leading rusher as a true freshman. I should phrase it that way. And he is, you know, showing a lot of maturity beyond his age. He's showing that he knows how to make the right read. He's showing that he can be that playmaker when we need to. And in an offense that's averaging 2.3 yards per carry, he's averaging himself alone four yards per carry. And he's showing us why we wanted him so badly in the first place. He stepped up at into a role where he probably wasn't expecting to get get much play time. So I think we, uh, of course, need to give it to him. And then, you know, the second one that I was going to pick, if we already were talking about LJ a lot, was I was going to give it also to Parker Kingston. You know, right now he's out with a concussion, but he has been a lot more involved in this offense than I think anybody could have planned on. He just adds another level to our offense where it spreads the field a little bit more for us. 
you know, it, it was tough having him out with that concussion. You know, we saw him on the field for a few snaps during this last game against Cincinnati, but he was not going to be involved in the play at all because anytime he was out there, it was going to be a running play. And he was just out there to spread the field a little bit more and get those reps as he's getting back healthy. But, you know, I do think there is a big role that Parker plays in this offense that I personally was not expecting this season. Parker's, you know, rise to being one of those big playmakers has been an absolutely great surprise to me. And I'm super happy for him. And, you know, hopefully he's able to get back to 100% by the time we are at TCU. Yeah, and before we move on, I actually have one more surprise player I wanted to shout out. I was just kind of thinking about it. I'm headed over to special teams with Marcus McKenzie. Ever since game one, he's had a huge impact on every single game we've played. And it would feel like a disservice if we didn't at least include him in the surprise players because he has been one of the gems of special teams this year. Absolutely. Now, one last thing before we move on. We wanted to hear from anybody who is listening or anybody that follows us on social media about your picks of the MVP and the surprise player. So just to give a few shout outs here, the first one is going to be at Sam Emery 89 on Twitter. Sam said MVP is clearly Keaton Slovis. I thought he'd be better than Pitt. I think saying here better than the Pitt version of himself, but with the absence of a run game, he's been crucial for this team. So shout out to Sam again. It's at Sam Emery 89 on Twitter. And then going over to our Instagram, this is actually my brother who commented this. It's at Corbin underscore McMinn. Corbin said his MVP is going to be Isaac Rex and surprise player LJ Martin. So if you don't follow our socials, again, it's at Coog Talk Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. We do want to hear from you. So if you have different picks than us, make sure you go check out our socials, add those comments, let us know what your personal picks are and make sure you follow because we'll be asking for more takes from BYU fans like this in the future. So another fun thing that is super great about having this bye week is we're able to look back on the biggest plays that BYU has had so far this season. And we actually wanted to come up with our list of top five plays of the season, which is actually going to be a lot more difficult than I would have expected because we have so many great ones. So just a few here to mention from the start. We have the Jacob Robinson 42-yard pick six against Cincinnati. We had the fourth and one stop against Arkansas. We had Chase with that long touchdown against Cincinnati that he kind of intercepted from Keanu. Um, we have the Parker Kingston trick play pass over to Deion Smith. We have, you know, so many big plays. So we wanted to kind of talk through what our top five plays are. So Jackson, what are some of your top plays specifically? Where would you place them on the list in comparison to maybe some of these other plays we have? Uh, let, let's hear what plays you think are the top plays. Man, that's a tough one. You forget. I feel like you forget. Like, I've forgotten all the plays that happened in Kansas after the Cincinnati game. It's just like a weird, like, refresh that happens in your brain. But just going off the list that you gave, um, I think that fourth and one stop versus Arkansas was the biggest one that you mentioned when it comes to the actual impact it had on the game. BYU is down. I think they're down 31 to 21. You're approaching the end of the third quarter. Arkansas is at midfield trying to drive and put the game away. 
if you don't get that stop versus Arkansas and they're able to go score, it's over. That game's over. As lucky as BOU could be in that situation with a with a quarter left, I think that that play was so huge in turning the momentum back to BOU's side for a final time. And because of that play, they were able to go win that Arkansas game. Absolutely. And kind of just on the same point of a big play from that game that involved a massive change in momentum, I think one of these top five should include that Parker Kingston trick play pass as well because that came after we were down 14-0. to We had nothing going. We needed some big momentum-changing play. And a trick play that works and scores a touchdown from it specifically is absolutely critical for that. It got the momentum swinging our way. We got the ball back after that and scored again. So I think, you know, I like that one included in the top five as well. Um, I, I don't know if it's over that fourth and one stop, though, because as you mentioned, that was a game-winning play. And without that play, we very well could be talking about going into this bye week at three and two rather than four and one. So I, I think it should be involved there in the top five because it was such a big play for getting us going. But I, I don't think it beats that fourth and one stop there. Yeah, I love all of those plays there. I did want to bring up a couple that I haven't seen too many people talking about. The first one being Eddie Heckard's sack of KJ Jefferson with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, we're up by seven. We've had a couple of punts back and forth, and Arkansas is going down trying to tie the game up. It's a third and seven. KJ isn't looking at the pressure. Eddie Heckard comes off of the corner blitz from the left side, hits him from behind, and forces the fumble. We end up recovering that ball in Arkansas territory. Now, we did end up missing the field goal there that would have put it away, but I think that play is very underrated in the fact that that essentially won us the game because even by the time they got the ball back, they were down seven and had less than two minutes left in the game. It was a lot more stressful. The defense was able to kind of have their way with what they wanted to do against Arkansas, and I feel like that made the world of a difference in that game there. And then the second play I wanted to point out is just coming from the Cincinnati game this weekend. It's actually the muffed punt recovery by Austin Riggs. And the reason I bring this up is because this came after BYU scored, Cincinnati scored, BYU ends up kicking, and it's only an eight-point game. Cincinnati coming off of a touchdown drive, BYU has a three and out. If they get the ball and go down and score, that game is tied in the fourth quarter. But instead, Austin Riggs running down the field, the long snapper, recovers a muff punt all the way 40, 50 yards down the field, ends up leading to a touchdown that basically puts the game on ice. I felt like that play was extremely important in that game and underrated as well. Yeah, those are both huge plays when it comes to just their impact on the end of the game, on the result of the game. I think another one, and this might be this might not be in like the top five plays of the season, but I'm going to make it an honorable mention just because of the impact it had on the game. And I'm going to go with Darius Lasseter's touchdown versus Cincinnati right before halftime. I felt like that play was huge, and the players even talked about it in their interviews. Coming out of halftime, they felt so much better because of that touchdown. If Darius Lasseter, if whatever happens on that play and that play just doesn't happen, and BYU either goes in at half tied or even down three like they were before the play, I think that the team starts slower in the second half, and maybe that slower start in the second half results in a loss. And I'm not saying that I'm not discrediting everything BYU did in the second half, but I really feel like Darius Lasseter's touchdown at the end of that half had a huge impact on the result of the game. 
and that's a real thing. Like even as a fan going into halftime, when we got the ball with a minute left, I genuinely just wanted us to run the ball up the middle once, run into the locker room and go. But the fact that they were willing to go down and Darius Lasseter ends up making that play changed the entire momentum of the game in three plays. Absolutely. And that's, that's where the hard thing comes in for making this decision of our top five, because so many of these involve so many different game situations. Some of them are super big game changing plays. Some of them are more cool plays than they are game changing. And this isn't even half of those big plays that we've actually seen so far this season, but we want to have a top five list here. So based off of what we've talked about today, and you guys can let me know if you disagree here, but I think as a top five list, and I think we all already know what the number one play is going to be. We haven't even talked about it yet, but we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think at number five, we got to go with that muffed punt recovery. You know, that, as you mentioned, Chris, was, you know, honestly, one of the biggest momentum changing plays of the game. You know, we had our drive stall out a little bit. We were punting it away and it was kind of a disappointing possession for us there. But then to be able to go out there and recover and take advantage of that mistake by Cincinnati was huge for us winning that game. And then at number four, I have the trick play pass from Parker Kingston to Deion Smith that really got our momentum going for that game against Arkansas. It was our first points of the game, and it couldn't have gotten there at a better time. It couldn't have came at a better time. We needed those points desperately to not go down even more than 14-0. to at number three, I think we got to put that fourth and one stop. Game-winning defensive you know, move there. We had AJ and Max both reach the backfield early on that run. And a big part of that, though, was because our defensive line did a great job at filling in the middle there, forcing the run to go outside to our linebackers, which allowed them to make that play. Then at number two, I think we should give it to that Eddie Heckard force fumble on KJ Jefferson, especially where... You know, we're, you're matched up against a quarter li- quarterback like K.J. Jefferson. It's very difficult to feel like you have any momentum against a player like that. And to go out there, force that fumble and that sack against him really makes it feel like this is a game we can win. The momentum clearly shifted all in our direction after that play. And even though it didn't lead to points, it was huge for really taking the Arkansas crowd out of it getting our guys locked in, and I do think that ended up being a game-winning play there as well in the long run. But now let's talk about the number one play of the season. This play has been shown all over SportsCenter, all over social media. There are shirts being made of it, even shirts made by KuConnect for it. So, of course, go check those out. But I think very fairly the number one play of the season so far has to go to the Chase Roberts one-handed game-winning catch against Arkansas. If you missed that play, BYU had the ball in the fourth quarter. We were having a good drive going, and we threw the ball to Chase Roberts, who made a crazy catch on it, one-handed in the end zone, got down in the end zone at least with one foot to make it a clear catch. It was not out of bounds, and it was honestly one of the best game-winning touchdowns I've seen in a long time that and Puka's game winner against Boise state are going to be cemented in my brain forever as the best game winning plays. I think I've watched live just because they are crazy impressive catches. Now I'm curious, do either of you disagree with that being number one? I 
think it's impossible to disagree. I mean, I you watch that play and it's the definition of a jaw dropper. Like I was I was speechless. You mentioned the Puka catch. It's up there with Austin Collie's fourth and eighteen. It's up there with Mitch Matthews Hail Mary versus Nebraska. It's a play that we will always remember. We might forget the results of twenty twenty three when it's 2033, but we will never forget Chase's catch. That was absolutely amazing. Awesome. Well, moving on from the BYU football, we also always like to talk about some of the big games outside of BYU. And just revisiting some of our picks for the biggest week five games, you know, Chris and I mentioned specifically Notre Dame versus Duke. We also had a great matchup between USC and Colorado, Auburn and Georgia. All of these games coming down to the end, they were super fun games to watch, crazy close games, and it was a great week five for college football. One thing I wanted to mention about week five, my favorite game actually didn't get mentioned was the Ole Miss versus LSU game. 55 to 49, high scoring affair. I loved watching that. So if you have a chance, go back and watch that game. Incredible. But moving on to week six, we have some more great games coming up. And as Jackson mentioned at the beginning, these are games that are going to be a lot more fun to watch as BYU fans because we don't have to stress our own game coming up. So let's talk a little bit about some of the games coming up, our personal games of the week. And since we don't have a game for us to predict for BYU this week, we're actually going to do this a little bit differently this week. So we are each going to pick one game that we are looking forward to watching and then we are going to predict the winner of that game. So let's go ahead and have you kick us off, Chris. Going into week six, there are some big matchups that I'll let one of you get to. One that I'm actually really excited for is 23 LSU at 21 Missouri. Missouri's 5-0 and undefeated this year. They've had a couple crazy wins, last second 60-yard field goals kind of wins. I'm excited to see what they do against LSU. LSU is currently favored by five and a half, but I think the Missouri Tigers at home, they're doing a blackout. I think they take this game 33-30. Sweet. I, I like that pick. I like the games. There's a lot of slate. There's a good slate this weekend when it just comes to ranked matchups, other matchups that are intriguing. Of course, I'll be watching TCU-Iowa State very closely. But if I were to choose a game of the week, I'd have to go with Kentucky versus Georgia. Kentucky's ranked 20th. Obviously, Georgia is the top-ranked team. I don't know if you guys were able to watch Georgia-Auburn last week. Georgia just doesn't look like Georgia thus far. And I think Kentucky has a chance to be the best team that they have played so far. I think this game is happening. It is a home game for Georgia. I mean, but I think Kentucky is going to give them a good game. The line is 15. I'm not going to pick a winner, but I will pick Kentucky to cover that spread of 15 points. I love it. And Kentucky was actually one of the teams that we called out last week as well for outside of BYU. They're kind of on a roll, so I would not be surprised to see them cover there. Now, I, I think one of the obvious choices for the game of the week would be the Red River rivalry with Oklahoma at Texas. That's a number 12 team matched up against a number three team. But personally, I think Texas is going to win pretty easily there. So I'm not going to choose that one as my game of the week because there is one specifically that I'm looking at that I think is going to play big dividends with the college football playoff. And I'm actually going to give it to Maryland at number four, Ohio State. Ohio State is one of those top five teams alongside Georgia that just doesn't look like themselves. 
They don't look like an entirely complete team. And it's been one of these teams where it feels like their defense is the strength of their entire team, which is not a very good thing. Ohio State has always had an elite offense that makes up for, you know, sometimes a lackluster defense. This year it's kind of been the off- opposite where the offense is struggling. And I, I'm really curious to watch this game because not only do I think Maryland has a decent shot at winning this game, but if they do, I think it would break, I think, a nine-game losing streak to Ohio State. They are on a long losing streak to, streak to Ohio State. So my prediction here might be a little bit of a hot take, but I think Maryland gets this win, and that's why I think it could be the game of the week. I think Maryland gets their, their win at Ohio State, which would eventually knock Ohio State out of the playoffs this year. So going a little bit against my in-laws there, I'm married into an Ohio State family, but I do think Maryland has the best shot they've ever had to upset an Ohio State team. If that happens, that could very well be the upset of the year. So that's going to be my personal game of the week, the game that I'm going to be looking forward to watching. And just one last one to add before we finish. Number 10, Notre Dame plays undefeated Louisville. Louisville is at home for that. Notre Dame has had a few scares this year, so I do expect that game to be pretty good. Not game of the week, but I am going to be tuning in for that one as well. Yeah, that one that one will definitely be interesting, especially to see how Notre Dame, you know, continues their momentum. And, you know, it could be a resume game for Notre Dame when it's all said and done at the end of the season, because this is a good Louisville team. Now, that's all we have for you today. Again, it's a bye week for BYU, so there is not going to be a BYU game for us to watch this week, but there is still a lot of great football that's going to be played this week in college. So make sure you tune in for as much as you possibly can. Make sure you all enjoy the bye week. I know we're going to enjoy it. Do you guys have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Nine days to TCU. Everyone go follow Daddy 47 on Twitter. Go Cougs. Awesome. Well, again, make sure you follow us on our socials at Coog Talk Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Music. And of course, make sure you tune in next week for our TCU preview and go Cougs. This was the Cougar Talk Podcast. Thanks for listening. 